Welcome back to Grace Point Go, Grace Point's podcast where you can listen to conversations and interviews and devotionals all on the go. Well, in today's episode, Pastor Jared bridges the gap between our previous sermon series on Hebrews into our next sermon series in the book of Philippians and why these books work so well together and some of the connections that can be made between these two books. Thanks for listening today. Hope that you enjoy. Well, it's great to be back with you. I'm always enjoying these times as we um, give consideration some different topics and ideas. Uh, Today, I am especially excited to um, really create uh, what I feel is a bridge um, between uh, last sermon series. We have just concluded Hebrews uh, after a 37-week study, Um, and this coming Sunday, Uh, Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, we are going to begin a new sermon series uh, looking at the New Testament book of Philippians. And in many ways, the the theme or the feature of this particular podcast um, is, while both a bit of a summary and just giving some final thoughts um, uh, just to kind of close out Hebrews and in that sense set things up for our study in Philippians, uh, there's a particular kind of theme that um, really jumps out of the scripture and the text when we bring these two books together, and that is really a theme of joy. And um, I have deeply, um, I have been deeply blessed by that, um, and I have very much enjoyed the relationship between these two books. And so for anybody who uh, is regularly engaged in our study and joining us in worship on Sundays and have been a part of these studies, um, I think uh, I think we begin to find uh, in the text of both Hebrews and then what will be Philippians is this resounding sense of joy uh, because of how it uh, crystallizes our view of Christ, but more than that clarity, how it it helps bring a particular kind of weight and influence uh, of Christ in our lives. And this really is um, kind of the reason for the joy. As we look back at Hebrews, um, how Hebrews plays a part in our joy is in the freedom it gives us um, to know. And that's really the key word. It is this idea of knowledge um, that what this author and pastor of Hebrews does is he presents a, a clear understanding, a kind of knowledge by which um, Christ has a prominent place in life. Um, And so it's from that place of knowledge that we are then, in many ways, informed. And in that information, we are equipped. And we are therefore equipped to live and to exist and to have our being and to do these things for the glory of God. And what Philippians presents to us will become a what is really a clear application of what that knowledge does for us. That because of who Jesus is, it therefore has um, a practical outworking in our life. Now, I said just a moment ago that one of the predominant themes that kind of ties these books together and what has uh, drawn me to um, make Philippians the next part of our study here as a church is this idea of joy. And so when we look at Hebrews, as I mentioned, the joy comes from the knowledge of who God is in Christ. 
Uh, the joy is amplified in the book of Hebrews when we understand um, the reason for why Jesus is supremely better. Um, and this is what the author has been giving to this particular audience, this small church in Rome, um, or located in or around Rome. And he begins this book, and in the very first chapter, um, he immediately presents us to Christ. And in Hebrews 1.3, he says that he, being Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. And he is the exact representation of his nature. Uh, so in other words, if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. Look to his excellence. Um, look to that revelation. And from that revelation, be informed, be impressed, be moved um, to a clear kind of conviction that leads to a clear kind of confession. And let that weight, that authority, that proper exaltation have its due influence in your life. But again, Hebrews helps explain why that should have influence in our life, why Jesus should have that kind of weight and authority in our life. And it begins by the fact that he is the exact representation of his nature, that Jesus is God. And as God, Jesus did something for us. And again, we come to learn through this idea of knowledge in this clear presentation why Jesus is worthy of our affection. Because what we learn is that as God, he assumes a better name. And that name is Son. And therefore, because of this role and this place and this willing subjection that the, the second person of the Trinity takes upon himself and becomes flesh like you and me, is that immediately Jesus is fulfilling a role that is far greater than anything else. And so our author emphasizes how Jesus is greater than any created angel. He's greater than any earthly um, prophet like Moses. He's greater than any religious construct of worship like the sacrifices of the temple and the role of the many priests. He's just greater than all of those things. Now, that doesn't diminish the value that the sacrifices and the priests and the covenant uh, under the uh, Old Testament fulfilled among the people of God. It doesn't diminish the voice of influence that Moses and other uh, prophets of old had. It doesn't diminish uh, the splendid nature um, and the unique function and role of angels. It just simply means that Jesus is even greater. And the knowledge of this greatness, this weight, this Christ-exalting weight and authority in our life is um, giving us joy through the understanding of how that greatness um, has presented itself to us. Meaning, not only does Jesus show us the nature and character of God, um, but he, he reveals uh, the particular kinds of characteristics, the, the very kind of nature that God has, that he is holy. And that in his holiness, he perfectly fulfills um, these great qualities like grace and love and, and mercy. And so we see how Jesus willingly um, uh, fulfills through the suffering of death. He, he, he takes on this role of, 
of a pioneer. He is the author, the author uh, and perfecter of our salvation. And uh, he becomes for us the final sacrifice. Uh, He becomes what every lamb and bull and goat could never accomplish, which was a final offering by which his shed blood perfectly satisfied the wrath of God because Jesus was perfectly and completely righteous and he fulfilled every expectation of the law of God. And um, and so what Hebrews continues to unveil for us is um, the true value and weight and authority of Jesus in his role as a priest who through his sacrifice made acceptable to God Conquered death, God raised him from the dead. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Which then, as we come to learn in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, therefore Jesus, in his righteousness, having conquered the final enemy of death, it says he is able to save forever those who draw near to God. And he does that by the people who in faith come to God through him. And therefore, Jesus, as a true priest, will intercede on our behalf um, and, and, and speak on our behalf now and forever. And so this is how the knowledge of who Jesus is gives to us a great sense of joy. Because what the author of Hebrews is doing for this small particular community is he is in many ways, releasing them. He is freeing them from the confines, the, the, the entrapments, really the kind of slavery that comes with feeling like um, we bear the ultimate burden of trying to get to God. And so whether through our good works, through our rituals, and through our religions, um, It is human nature to try to think that it's up to us to make better um, something that is impossible for us to come by. We have an inherent nature of sin. And so what the author of Hebrews has done for us is he has presented this clear, weighty, Christ-exalting truth by which this knowledge informs us and presents to us a particular kind of joy that says it. Your salvation's not dependent on you, nor is there anything you could ever do to ever put yourself in a position of having a right and healthy and whole standing before God. And therefore, you must look to a better thing, and that better thing is Jesus. And this is why, as we've seen near the end of our study, Christ was a once and for all sacrifice and to help make sense of these things for this uh, primarily Jewish audience of believers, he shares this wonderful metaphor of the mountains. And he says that in Jesus, you are no longer like your ancestors. You're no longer like the Israelites who after the Exodus were standing on the base of Mount Sinai desperately wondering how you would ever be able to get to the top of the mountain when under God's holiness and just wrath over sin, the reality was you could not even touch the mountain. And this is why Jesus is just simply better. And the knowledge of what he has done for us produces joy because in Christ, we have an entirely different mountain. 
one in which he has descended the slopes for us and he has come to our position and he has assumed through humility our our flesh and in becoming like us he died for us and therefore he makes possible our access to the top of the mountain that he calls Mount Zion by which we share in an eternal and royal inheritance and we belong with the church of the firstborn we are enrolled with the righteous we celebrate gladly with the with the angels and we now have a forever relationship with God once again this knowledge produces a particular kind of joy and this is what segues this is this bridge i was talking about into philippians um you know there's different there's different uh, ideas around who wrote hebrews uh paul has long been a popular opinion um, I am not overly concerned with the author of Hebrews, whomever he uh, was as a pastor. Uh, he cared deeply for his people. But what I will tell you is we see um, we see characteristics that are clearly evident in Paul, who is the undisputed author of Philippians. We see here another pastor. We see uh, one who is deeply committed and very invested in this particular community. Um, and as we approach the Philippian church, we're going to see the dynamic of a church that's not like Hebrews, uh, where Hebrews was primarily Jewish. Uh, they were dealing with a, an entirely different background, um, again, around this idea of covenant and religion and law. Um, Paul here is writing to a church community that has none of those backgrounds in their lives. Um, this is a primarily Gentile, almost ex this is probably an exclusively Gentile church um, who, who don't have close or immediate um, knowledge um, other than perhaps casual knowledge of what, what the Jewish faith practices and believes. And yet as we approach Philippians, um, we are going to find an interesting image. Uh, where in Hebrews, one of the predominant metaphors or images was of the mountains. And while it's not a metaphor, this literally and actually occurred, there is this kind of imagery in Philippians that has a lot to do with imprisonment and chains. Uh, one of the things that I have found interesting when we approach Philippians, and this all goes back to this idea of joy that just seems to leap out at us, is that Paul's ministry, his engagement, his real story with the Philippian church really begins and ends with chains. It begins and ends with worship. It really begins and ends with this spirit of joy. Uh, in Acts chapter 16, we learn some of the biblical background to Paul's relationship with the Philippian church um, and his first time going to the city of Philippi which is a Roman colony, predominantly Gentile. There's not even a synagogue in the city of Philippi. Um, but upon his first visit to Philippi, he ultimately is placed in prison. Um, and in this jail, he is, along with Timothy, singing songs of praise and hymns. Um, the mighty act of God by way of earthquake uh, frees him from this prison cell, cell. It leads to the conversion of the jailer and his family, um, among other converts in this particular um, moment. But the point was, here's Paul's first experience in Philippi, and he's put in prison. <laughs> he's in chains. 
And he's singing. He's worshiping. As we then read the letter of Philippians itself, this comes years later. Paul is now in an entirely different kind of prison. Um, Many believe that he is uh, in Rome. So there's um, a small relationship to the study of Hebrews, um, this Jewish Roman church there. Um, But Paul's likely in Rome uh, and he is awaiting um, what we get the impression from in this letter is potential of even his own execution. And yet, while in jail, like he was originally in Philippi, uh, while uh, bound to prison, while in the midst of difficult, um, distressing circumstances, we again see this pattern of singing and worship. But it comes in the context of joy. Um, 16 times in this short letter, only four chapters long, do we hear this word joy or rejoicing. It is evident in the writing of Paul that despite the circumstances he is facing, he is a happy man. He is a joy-filled man, and he's not letting his circumstances dictate that. Now, this is what I mean when I said at the front end of this podcast that joy is this predominant theme, and it's a theme that really connects these ideas. One, the idea of theme comes from the knowledge of the greatness of Christ in Hebrews, and Philippians becomes this beautifully practical outworking of the knowledge of that joy. That because of what Christ has done, because of who Jesus is, he is the radiance of his glory. He is the exact representation of his nature. That he has, uh, in humility, taken on flesh. He has become a forerunner and an author of our salvation. He has made possible our access to the living and holy God. He has set us atop of Mount Zion. Um, And therefore, our identity and the knowledge of that identity is entirely secure in the finished work of Christ. That knowledge that results in joy becomes a practical application in the letter of Philippians. And Paul is going to be a witness to these things for us. We are going to observe the witness of his life as we approach this study. And we are going to see for ourselves the conviction and the confession of a man who loves Jesus. In just the first chapter of Philippians 1, the name of Jesus is mentioned 17 times. I only share that to articulate this idea that what what motivated Paul's heart to sing and to rejoice, whether it was in the early moments of his first experience in Philippi, and he's literally singing in the prison cell, or it's in the tone of his writing. And years later, as he's in an entirely different jail, he is rejoicing. What's clear in Paul's heart is that the reason for his singing is because he is a man who is captured and captivated by Christ. And he he just knows Right There's that idea to Hebrews again. He just knows that his identity, his citizenship, his security, his confidence, his hope is not determined or influenced by really any earthly position or possession. 
but that his confidence and his hope is set apart in the one who is interceding on his behalf before the Father, Hebrews 7.25. And so Paul can sing, even when he's chained up. Um, what's not bound in chains is the gospel. And he realizes that no matter where he is, Christ is always with him. And Christ will use him even if he's in uh, the, 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 the confines of a Roman prison cell or he's wandering the paths of some road going to another town. He's going to be used by Christ, that his life has a distinct purpose, that he's living for the glory of God, and that he has an eternal reward that has already been given to him in Christ. He knows he's enrolled in the heavens, and therefore Paul can sing. This is his joy. It is a practical outworking of a knowledge that begins with the proper exaltation of Christ. And I just leave you with that, friends, Um, that if there's just a final finished thought, um, joy is Jesus-bound, that we, we are able to have joy in the midst of any circumstance when we allow our mind to think much of Christ. Um, And I think that's oftentimes one of the key ingredients um, to um, not just a life of joy, but to why we may not often have joy. Because we're allowing our thoughts and our eyes to be fixed on entirely different things. And therefore, we're influenced by those things. But if we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, uh, Colossians chapter 3, who is seated up in the heavens, (coughs) excuse me, um, we will be given a proper and happy perspective. So let us look to Jesus and uh, joy will naturally come from that. Hey, God bless. Thanks for being with us. We look forward to uh, uh, having some more uh, uh, awesome opportunities with our podcast and some other topics coming up. We hope you stay with us as we keep offering these things uh, every week. So thanks for being with us today. Bye-bye.